My name is Aldo Martin, and this is the Reclamation Podcast. In the very first episode of the podcast, I used the word cult to describe the ICOC. Some agreed with my assessment, while others disagreed, to say the least. I've had many conversations with people regarding the usage of the word cult, or regarding my usage of the word cult. And the conversations varied in nature, right? Some of the conversations were verbal, uh, written, in person, virtual, over the phone, on the record, and off the record. You name it. You name it, right? Interestingly enough, however, hardly anyone asked me why I used the word cult. Hardly anyone asked me how I came to that conclusion. Usually, things were said like, well, I didn't have a negative experience, so for me, it wasn't a cult. Assuming that my conclusion came as the result of negative experiences. Or, well, I'm not upset or bitter, therefore, I don't see it as a cult. Again, assuming that my conclusion came out of bitterness. I've also heard, well... I don't like using the word cult because that's what the crowd does. As if, as if my conclusion was born out of, out of ignorance or, or a lack of thought on my part. On the contrary, my view came as the result of reflection, consideration, evaluation, and then acceptance. I left the ICOC back in 2004 because I had had enough. It was time to go. I explain more about that in the season two finale titled, What More Can I Say? I didn't leave the church because I thought that the ICOC was a cult. In fact, I left still believing that the uh, the ICOC's brand of Christianity was the only valid brand that existed. Even after my departure, I was still indoctrinated. Several years later. After leaving, Elena and I watched the documentary on the Jonestown Massacre. I didn't know much about the event outside of knowing that it happened. The documentary came on. She and I were curious, so we watched. What stood out to me as I watched this documentary was the people. I was disturbed by what I saw because I saw myself in those people. Never forget that the name of Jim Jones's church was the People's Temple. I saw the people in that documentary, and I understood them. They looked happy. They looked happy to have found purpose in life. They looked happy to be a part of something that was bigger than themselves. I could tell that what the church offered them was better than what their previous lives could offer. In their eyes, I could see that they found love, acceptance, and community. I was disturbed because I thought I was no different from them. Jim Jones and the People's Temple did not become a cult when over 900 people died on a November night. It was a cult well before that. Because I saw the parallels between the members of the People's Temple and myself, I began to ask myself, was I in a cult? Being called a cult member was not new to me. Hearing that others called my organization a cult was not new to me. In fact, it never fazed me. 
I thought that us being called a cult was a form of persecution that was produced by our own righteousness. I thought, we are doing something for God, and that's why the world is persecuting us. That's what I thought. I think others thought the same. But after watching the documentary, I began the road of exploring and concluding that I was a part of a cult. If one were to look at the etymology of the word cult, one would find that the word cult is derived from the Latin word cultus, which means to cultivate land, as in agriculture. But it also means to worship. In the early 17th century, the word cult meant worship or homage. In the late 17th century, the word cult meant a particular form of system or worship. Hmm. And then in the mid-19th century, the word cult came to mean a devoted attention to a particular person or thing. So then this made me ask, the worship of what? Right? The worship of what? So then I, um, I took a look at the, uh, at the dictionary, the uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary to be exact, and I saw five definitions of the word cult. Five. If you don't mind, I'd like to, I'd like to look at four of them. The first definition says, a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Okay. The second definition is great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work. Okay. The third definition said formal religious veneration. And then the fourth definition said a system of religious beliefs and ritual. Let's look at the first definition. It says, a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. What, is, what does spurious mean? That's, that's what I thought. It means of falsified or erroneous attributed origin. So in other words, a religion regarded as having a falsified attributed origin. Huh. It could be said that many of us did not learn the origins of the church. It could be said that many of us did not do our part in researching the origins of the ICOC. It could be said. It could also be said that many of us were taught a history of the movement, and we simply just trusted our leaders. Many of us were taught that Christianity began in the first century and then became dormant for about 1,979 years. I remember... I remember when I first got baptized, I asked the young woman a question. I asked who the leader of our church was. She said, Kip McKean. I said, okay, cool. I said, who led the church before he did? And she said, Peter, I guess. Peter? <laughs> I said, which, which, which Peter? What do you, he's got a brother named Peter? She said, no, Peter from the Bible. And I'm thinking, Peter from the Bible? You mean you mean first and second Peter? That Peter? You mean you mean before the rooster crows three times? That Peter? We might not have been explicitly taught taught this, but it was certainly implied in many regards. We were also taught that we were the only ones that got it right. The Mormons teach the same thing, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach the same thing, Heaven's Gate taught the same thing. 
Our church, our teachings, were part of a larger narrative of Christianity over the centuries. We were part of a narrative. Instead, we were taught that we were the narrative. I would argue that such teachings are spurious and that they are derived from a falsified, attributed origin. The second definition says, great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work. The great devotion of a person seems like an easy one because one could say it was Jesus that we were devoted to. Was it Jesus? Or were we devoted to another person's idea of Jesus? I'd like for you to consider the words of some of the leaders over the past several years. In the 1989 summer edition of the Discipleship Magazine, Marty Wooten wrote, There is no greater discipler, disciple, friend, brother, husband, father, leader than Kit McKean. Some say it is dangerous to respect any one man that much. I believe it is more dangerous not to. I would hate to think where we would be if Kip had not pointed the way in the movement and in many of our personal lives. Sam Lang, who became an evangelist with the Boston Movement, said the following of Kip McKean. Kip McKean is the greatest living treasure that God has given the kingdom on the face of the earth today. The influence of a man like this, just like the influence of Peter, John, Titus, or Paul, cannot be limited to one place or one situation. In 1987, Marty Fuqua stated, Jesus was loyal to the people he was discipling. The person who disciples me in the Lord is Kit McKean, the evangelist of the Boston church. I want to be just like him. When he tells me things to do, you better believe I listen. I want the guys who I am discipling to want to be like me. Another leader of the church, I won't mention his name because he passed away and I want to be respectful to him and his family and not mention his name. In 1988, he did say, I want to be able to imitate Kip McKean. I want to preach like him. I want to think like him. I want to talk like him. He then said, it would suit me just fine if I could leave this place and say, you know, I just want to be exactly like Kip. That would be enough. Mike Taliaferro, and I've heard people pronounce the name Tolliver, he, in 1988, spoke about someone that was hesitant, hesitant to imitate Kip. He said to the guy, you can change your character. And the guy says, I I don't know, man. I don't know, Mike. I just don't know if I will ever be like Kip. To which Mike responded, look, We need to imitate Kip. But how are you ever going to be like Jesus if you don't think like Kip? These quotes, these quotes can be found in the book titled, What Does the Boston Movement Teach? Volume 1, written by Dr. Jerry Jones. You can find the book and you can find these quotes for yourself. Hey, listen, don't don't ask me for a PDF version. Don't even ask me to, to borrow my copy, okay? No, my brother, you got to get your own. (laughs) But if you do get your hands on it, you'll find these quotes in there. To take it a step further, at the Manila Conference in 1994, 
Andy Fleming said, imitate the faith of your leaders. You don't have to understand it. Just look for it and imitate it. Kind of like when they tell you the origins of the church, right? Don't ask questions. Now, I'm not judging these men for what they said. This is what they thought at the time. Perhaps they've changed their minds. Perhaps. Nonetheless, I find it important to examine these words because they demonstrate the fourth definition of the word cult, which is formal religious veneration. And what is veneration? Veneration is the respect or awe inspired by the dignity, the wisdom, the dedication, or the talent of a person. A person. The worship of a person. In other words, the cult of personality. Henry Crete said this term in 2003 in his letter titled Honest to God in 2003. Doug Jacoby said it in 2019 as he described the church from 1979 to 2003. Therefore, little old me from the Bronx, New York, saying this is nothing new. It's nothing special. It's been said before. I thought that I was part of a cult because we worshipped the church. We worshipped the leaders. We worshipped the purpose of evangelizing the world in a generation. We worshipped our system. We were a self-sealing system, as Dr. Lalich would call it. We were in a culture that discouraged us from reading outside material that was critical to the church. And if anyone did so, it was done in secret. We were in an environment that was controlled and micromanaged, and we were supposed to follow another man's version of Jesus. A system was set up where everybody's in charge of somebody else, and nobody is in charge of himself, as Dr. Howard Norton put it. For all the reasons that I mentioned before, is why I believe that I was part of a cult. You know, one of the words that we used a lot was the term struggling. I know you remember that term. The word struggling was was probably the worst thing that a member of the ICOC could be, could be labeled as. If you were labeled as struggling, then you were seen as less than. You were seen as not meeting the mark. You were seen as uncommitted. And I have a friend of mine who, I have a friend of mine who, we talk often, and a lot of the times he describes himself as being a struggling brother back back in his church days, back in his uh, time with the ICOC. And I said, dude, dude, you weren't struggling. You were resisting what they were trying to make you into. That's what it is. We were trying to achieve a certain personality type. So when you struggled, you were resisting that. How many times were you told, or maybe you were the person that told somebody else, to imitate the one that discipled them? I know I've seen it. I've seen it. People would dress like the one that discipled them. Incorporate some of their mannerisms. I saw it. And if anybody wants to tell me that didn't happen, I'm going to tell you right now, stop the conversation right there. And if you don't acknowledge that or see that, then we have nothing to talk about. 
So to those who were labeled as struggling, nope, nope. I want to remove that word. We're gonna move. We're gonna remove struggling, and replace it with resisting. I resisted who you were trying to make me into. And while while I'm at it, we advertised ourselves as being like the church that was in the Bible. We said that about ourselves. Nobody else gave us that title. <laughs> Nobody else gave us that title. We gave us ourselves that title. As the church, the direct descendants from the book of Acts. And we used to tell people that and say, hey, look at our church. Now look in the book of Acts. Doesn't it look the same? Doesn't it have all the characteristics? Aren't we all nations? Aren't we with each other at the temple square? I think that's what it was. Aren't with aren't we with each other daily? Aren't we preaching the word? Aren't we spreading the gospel? So we were likening ourselves to the church in the Bible because of our characteristics or because of the characteristics that we saw in the Bible. Okay. So if we're going to use that logic, then what's wrong with me saying, well, I think this church was a cult because I look at other cults that exist in the world and I see the same characteristics. Why not? Why can't I say that? Why can't I say that? <laughs> Listen, if if you want to disagree with me on any of this, that's fine. I'm not interested in any debates because my mind is not going to be changed by what you say to me. It's not. I've known I know what I've witnessed. And you know what? With that being said, I had some great times and made some lifelong friends there in spite of what I was a part of. I made some wonderful memories in spite of what I was a part of. I remember the campus ministry that I was a part of and and the camaraderie that I had with the guys there. Honestly, don't tell the sisters this, but I think the sisters were a little a little jealous of us because we had so much fun. <laughs> they really were. The sisters the sisters were hating. <laughs> I remember at that time you know, the campus ministry I was in was like 30, 40 disciples. It's some large number. might have been 50 or close to it. And we were baptizing people left and right. And then I remember I asked one of the leaders, you know, what, what did it take for me to be an intern? Right? I was interested in this. And his response, well, I won't go into the details of his response, but let's just say that his response was along the lines of, you're not sharp enough. Okay? He didn't say that explicitly. Maybe one day I'll tell you exactly what that conversation was like, but you're not sharp enough. And I took that on the chin, and I, and I thought to myself, well, if I can't become an evangelist and preach on stage, I'll make sure to evangelize and preach to the people at my school. That was my resolve. There were, there were five brothers at that school, and we each baptized people and brought them into our ministry at the school. All of us baptized somebody. All of us. And the women, the women baptized people too. The women led the way. Make no mistake, in New York City, the women led the way. There, I said it. Shout out to the ladies. When I think about my experience with the church, 
this this particular campus ministry brings me the most joyous memories. The most. Some of us from that group left the church and, and some remained. We've lost touch over the years, but remained loosely connect connected or loosely in contact, I should say. Some of us in more contact than others. We created our own little community within a toxic environment. Keep in mind that we didn't know about the church's history or about the goings-ons with the leaders. We didn't know those things. In a way, we shielded each other from the toxic environment that surrounded us. It just happened that way. All I knew was that we were disciples and we went and made other disciples and, and had so much fun doing it. You know? It was fun, and uh, I, I'll forever remember those memories with those guys as being fun times. And you know what? I had this experience. I acknowledge this experience, despite being a part of a cult. When the podcast was created, I intended it to go up as a signal, you know, as a as a bat signal, if you will, to former members, right? So. But instead of instead of being Bruce Wayne, I was more like Bruce Leroy Wayne. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm sorry. Shout out to the last dragon. Sorry, I'll behave. I'm sorry. I hoped that that the podcast would be a place for former members to gather and talk and listen to the experiences of other people. That's it. the The podcast was intended to be pro former member. However, as of late. We've had an influx of current members who began listening to the program. I'd like to address the current members of the ICOC and the ICC who are listening to the program. To you guys, I say welcome. Welcome aboard. Thanks for giving us a listen. I want you to keep in mind that the conversations that you're hearing are people that are in some cases telling their story for the first time since leaving and explaining their reasons for why they left. In some regards, the church explained that the reason some of these people left was to live a life of sin. <laughs> well, you know what? If I'm being honest, and if I'm deducing what I've learned about the church over the past several months, it seems that there was the same level of sin going on inside the church as there was going on outside the church. But let's leave that alone, shall we? Former members and current members will forever be tethered to one another. I would say yoked, but some of y'all would struggle. <laughs> far be it from me. <laughs> we may be far away from each other in terms of beliefs and distance and time. But at one point, our lives intersected because of this ICOC experience. And I'm talking about current and former members. I want to let the current members know that I'm not seeking approval from you in doing this podcast. I'm not seeking approval from you. I'm not seeking permission from you. Perhaps some others feel the same way as I do. I, I've heard some current members refer to former members as bitter and therefore dismiss them and their words. I've heard current members refer to former members as angry and therefore invalidate their experiences. 
as you listen to the program, as you listen to the program, perhaps you can listen to the experiences of other people and use these words to improve parts of your congregation. Maybe something that was said on this program might be of use to your congregation in one way or another. Whether you listen to former members or not, I think that the experiences of the former members will always linger like a specter within your congregations. Perhaps you can use the experiences of these ghosts to help you move forward. I remember watching the third installment of the Lord of the Rings uh, series called uh, Return of the King. And at the end of the film, Aragorn's army is fighting a losing battle, right? And they needed help. So Aragorn goes and asks the ghosts of Dunharrow for help. The ghosts were also known as the, uh, the Oath Breakers. Now there's an interesting term. The ghosts then help Aragorn and his depleted army win their battle and save the Middle-earth. Right? Happily ever after. At the end of the battle, members of Aragorn's army wanted to keep the ghosts around because they were useful. However, the ghosts were not interested in becoming members of Aragorn's army. They simply wanted to go away. <laughs> Think about that. Maybe the fallaways are like the ghosts of Aragorn's army. If there is something that we have said on this program that could be of use to the members of your congregation, so be it. If there is something said on this program that could help your congregation going forward, then let it be. But understand this. I never intended for that to be the purpose of the podcast. I was never interested in seeking the approval, permission, or validation of the ICOC or the ICC. I was only interested in helping those that needed help in their healing process.